series I called Growing Pains or When Disciples Fail. And I think you can see by the picture kind of what we're talking about here. You know, Jesus, um, you know, with his disciples just finished the, the Last Supper, the that Passover meal or, um, you know, what we call maybe nowadays communion. And then right after that, he's going to take them out to the Mount of Olives to have a Bible lesson. He likes to have Bible lessons in the Mount of Olives, and there he's basically going to tell his disciples that they're going to they're going to mess up. Hey guys, good news! <laughs> You're going to fail. But this is good though because we need God. We need His power and strength and Holy Spirit. So failing, as we're going to talk about today, is a big part of growing up. That's why I call it growing pains. So first slide. So just to kind of finish off where I didn't get to do last time we were together is that's verses 29 to 30. And this is him finishing up the, that, that first communion or that you know, last supper with his disciples. And he finishes by saying this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you, my father's kingdom. Now that to me is a mysterious verse because when I read it, Initially, instinctively, I kind of thought, yeah, well, when we die, we could hang out with Jesus and, and have this wine. You know, it's, it's so far. It's almost like an idealistic, untangible, unreal thing. It's like, oh, you know. But I thought about what he's saying, and I'm like, could it just be possible? And I'm not, I'm not, this is not doctrinal. This is just kind of me using my imagination. So please just go with me. Isn't that possible that maybe he's also talking about things that are just going to change? I mean, this, this, th- they've had Passover for how many years? And it's been the same old traditional ritualistic thing. But now Jesus is going to change absolutely everything. He's going to break the mold. I mean, it, it, things aren't going to be as we remember from now on. I mean, he's going to change everything. And it's the cross. It's literally a matter of days where God's kingdom is going to basically unfold. And the church is going to be birthed within a matter of weeks. The Holy Spirit's going to reign. So things are going to change. And the thing is, I don't think God's kingdom is waiting to, for, the, for, to de- for us to die and just you know, hang out on clouds with angels. I don't think that. I believe God's kingdom is, is, is a part of his will and that's active around us even right now. Yeah, I know and I agree there's a lot of things yet future bound. And I'm not saying that that you know you know that there you know that, that everything in Scripture is fulfilled now and in the past. I'm saying that there, we, we when we look at future events like His return in the Millennium Kingdom and all these wonderful things, we don't want to invest all of our stock into that alone. We need to look at what's going on with with us right now and here. And a big part of that is if you think about like how Jesus and the and the other disciples like Paul spoke to the church. They spoke to the church as if Jesus was going to return right away. So they were living in the last times then. And so I think that disposition still should be with us now is that we are with Christ. We are a part of God's will. And in that sense, we are a part of God's kingdom now. And so uh, what I don't want to see is apathy growing up and saying, well, we're just going to hang out until he comes back and takes us to heaven and then we can drink this wine with him. No, I think... Well, let's look at some of these other verses that kind of confirm what I'm thinking here. That's what I'm asking. And again, it's a bit controversial, but I'm not, what I'm saying here is just kind of what if? You know, there's more to it than just waiting to die and be in heaven. 
You know, what is he talking about his resurrection, ascension, after we die in this life, new heaven, new earth? Well, Matthew 18, 20 says this. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. So right there we see Jesus teaching, I'm there with you when you gather. I'm there with you. So he's there with us. Again, <coughs> I don't wait to die. I don't wait to go to the pearly gates to see God, to see Jesus. He's with me right here and right now. He's with us right here, right now. Matthew 28, 20 says, And teaching and obeying everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. This is when you keep the Great Commission, which is a big part of our vision, our, our mission as the church. Specifically here in Cornerstone, we've, 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 we've grabbed on to this Great Commission to go out and to preach the gospel to the nations. And, and here, he, this, this beautiful premise is sandwiched into it. I am with you always. We need to practice this in our everyday life. A God, Jesus is with us always, not just for a little while. Now, he's not talking about just his time, you know, before his ascension. He's talking about always till even the very end of the age. So that means now, guys, Acts 10, 41, he was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So again, we have this time where he did actually eat and drink with his disciples. He fellowshiped, he was with them. So again, there's a quality here. It's almost like things are going to change. Just turn to the next slide. And that's why I have this little one here that we had last week, and I'm putting it here again. Uh, things are going to change, and we're living in a changed time, guys. We're living post the cross, post that final sacrifice of the perfect, ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ. Things have changed and we, are, we, we have the ability to be in a part of this beautiful co construct of God called the body of Christ or the church. We get to be a part of that. That is exciting. That's very exciting times we're living in, guys. But I want to look at this verse. I love this verse in Isaiah, the verses in Isaiah 53. We're going to see it a lot in the next few chapters. And the reason I want to say it is because the topic we're dealing with today is a little bit hard. It's a little bit difficult, the topic, because we're going to talk about failing. We're going to talk about messing up, coming short. And, and you know what? That failing, that coming short is, what, is a part of, the, of what the cross is about and what it rescues us from. So it says in Isaiah 53, 5 to 6, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Yes, no God, my way, not your way, God. You know, rebellion, yeah? He was crushed for our sin. Again, our failures, our mess-ups, our not able to do what we're called or intended to do. He was beaten so he could be made whole. Okay, you guys realize that he was beaten, he was whipped for our benefit so that we can be made whole, so we could be healed. All of us. Okay, not just some of us, not just a few of us, not most of us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So what did Jesus do for us, guys? Do we mess up? Do we fail? Do we blow it? Absolutely we do. But the cross completed the restoration process, if you will. We mess up, he makes us whole. We're hurt, he heals. We can't do he fulfills. And here's the good news. We haven't even got to it yet in Acts. <laughs> but Pentecost. I mean, here I expect disciples to mess up a little bit. And without God's Holy Spirit, we can only <laughs> be rest assured, the only failure. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us the power to do amazing things, gives the disciples the power to do amazing things, just hold on to your seat. You know, God's going to do some amazing things and he gets to use you and I to, to be there. How exciting is that? But again, failure, messing up is a big part of it. And you know what? Let's turn to the next slide. I've got some quotes from some famous people. Uh, I call this, this is a little bit businessy, I know. A little bit businessy. But bear with me. It's going to make sense when I start to unfold my point here. So just bear with me here as we look at this kind of these businessy people. You know, various people. Um, and I call this slide course failing, growing, and, and succeeding. And the reason why I bring this up is because there's people who are very successful in the business world who see failure not as a negative thing, but as a stepping stone, a part of growth. The problem is being afraid to fail and not trying, not going for it. So here's a quote from Forbes magazine, December 2013. It says, the simple truth is no great success was ever achieved without failure. It may be one epic failure or a series of failures, such as Edison, 10,000 attempts to create a light bulb, or Dyson's, 5,126 attempts to invent a bagless vacuum cleaner. But whether we like it or not, failure is a necessary stepping stone to achieving our dreams. Don't be afraid of failing. Just do it. It's part of growing up. Edison, speaking of which, says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Again, think about that. You and I, the type of persons we are, do we give up too soon? Oh, I've already tried 10, 15 times. Could we stick through? I mean, but bear in mind, other people who could have made the light bulb that didn't, that tried maybe a dozen times or gave up, do we know who they even are? No, but we know who Thomas Edison is. He stuck to it. Winston Churchill a famous politician. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian writers in the 20th century, failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. Henry Ford, the entrepreneur businessman and one of the pioneers of the assembly line industrial kind of method, he says the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. And musician, punker, John Cash says this, you build on failure, you use it as a stepping stone, close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it have any your energy or any your time or any your space. Okay, um, one thing I didn't put in there is, and I've talked about before, is that golf technique I love so much. And I've, I even put it in my own spiritual and like work life, it's like, if, if you make a big mistake, you just draw a red line on the turf and you go walk past that red line and you forget about it. And you only think of the good things. Now think about all the good things God's done for us. Think of all the good things God's done for you. When you mess up, when there's failure, you draw a red line over it, you walk up and you only think of the wonderful things that God's done. Because why obsess about failure? And that's kind of what I see here. It's part of life. Big deal. Why obsess about it? It's just a part of life. Big deal. Why dwell on it? You got to move on. Next slide, please. And so you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with Christianity? And this is kind of my summary, if you will. God has given us a mission. He has given us all vision. But what keeps us from doing what we're actually called to do? Is it not fear? Fear? Yeah, maybe. It is not failure itself, but the fear of failure that stops from doing what we ought to do. It's not the actual failing that stops us. It's like, but what if I mess up? I, 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 I'll look bad. 
You know, I don't want to do that. So it's not failure. It's a fear of failure that stops us from doing what we're called to do. And for the Christian, this fear of failure should be quite an embarrassing thing. Because we need to know that God, with his mighty spiritual power, can lead us, guide us, govern us. Yeah? It's God's power. And that's the cool thing. It's not, we're not just talking about business ethic here. Because you see, there are many secular or non-Christian business people who don't have the power of God to lead them and guide them. But are we Christians? Don't we believe in his holy presence and his power, his spirit to guide us and lead us? Absolutely we do. So that should even be more of a reason to have courage and no fear. Failure could sometimes break our pride, but maybe that's what has to happen, <laughs> Right? Maybe it's breaking the pride just, is just what is necessary, what's needed to, to lead us to go directly to Christ. For power, for strength. Because if we do it on our own power, on our own strength, then yeah, we can fail more likely. But you know what? It's a learning process. We, we trip, we fall, then God picks us up. He goes, now we're going to do it my way, son. Now we're going to do it my way, daughter. Yeah? Next slide. And I think Christ agrees with this. That's why we see in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus says this. He told them, this very night, you will all fall away, i.e., you will all fail. To cause a person to begin to distrust, to desert one whom he ought to trust to obey. Remember, Jesus chose these guys to be his disciples. You will all fall away. He chose them. Did Jesus mess up in choosing these guys? No, he knew what was up. He knew Judas. He knew all of them. He knew Peter. He, in fact, he's made it very clear how well he knows Peter. He knows them. He knew they'll all fail him. He loves them. He chose them. He called them all out knowing that they would fail. You will all fall away on account to me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Again, first of all, I like about this is again, it's assumed. Jesus already told him how many times he's going to die on the cross. He's going to suffer. But look, he's not even going to go there. He's like, I'm going to be, there will, the, the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will be scattered. But I will rise. Again, he's assuming the fact that he will die and he will rise. But notice this, guys, that even though they fail him, he will not fail them. You got that? Even though they fail him, he will not fail them. He plans to continue his, to, to, to meet his appointments. He has an appointment with them. We're going to meet in Galilee. Guys, you're going to fail me, but we're still going to meet in Galilee. You don't, just get over it. You're going to fail, you're going to trip, but you're going to stand up and you're going to meet me in Galilee. He didn't give up on them. Okay, guys, you're going to fail. You got it? You're going to fail. But it's okay. We're going to still meet in Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows. Look at the detail, the intimacy of Jesus and his knowledge. He knew that they're going to fail. He knows every single little drop of bit of failure on each single one of his disciples. This night, in fact, Peter, he says, the, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. So no, 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 no. We're not going to disown you. We're not going to fail you. No, 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 no. I don't know if that's what Jesus wanted to hear. I think what he would rather hear is like, okay. <laughs> Sometimes that's when you're in, like in leadership role and you say something. You kind of don't want to argue. You just kind of want to hear an okay. I think that's what Jesus probably wanted to hear. Okay, we'll meet you in Galilee. Failure is going to happen. You're Jesus, the Messiah after all, so you probably know these things. So we're not going to argue with you. Okay, we'll meet you in Galilee. <laughs> just take your medicine, Yeah. But sometimes we might have that same ability, this inability to accept possible personal failure. Are we like that? Do we refuse to accept or, you know, the fact that we might actually fail? Well, turn to the next slide with me, please. Here's a quick test. And this is the, the test we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first of all, the, the first this little test we have here is really simply a failing at being Obedient. And I think really ultimately a lot of this has to do with obedience in general. That's why it's nice just to say, okay, God, whatever, instead of arguing with them. Okay, failing at being obedient to keep watch. Now bear in mind, we, we, we hear the, the, the phrase keep watch and prayer together. But ideally all he really asked them to do is to keep watch. Now, it wasn't even to pray. It's just look out for the enemy. Again, Jesus knows everything, guys. He knows what's going on. He knew the enemy will come soon to take him away and arrest him. All he asked is some peace and quiet. He didn't ask him to pray. He goes, I want to go pray because I need to. I'm stressed out of my mind. I want to be left alone so I can pray. Just keep an eye on the enemy so that I won't be startled, I guess. I mean, as simple as that. Okay. All he wants is a little bit of obedience. Okay, so it goes on to say this in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here with, or sit here while I go there and pray. So again, don't even pray with me. Just watch. You can talk. You can play card games. I don't care. Just watch. I'm going to go pray because I need it. He took Peter and, his, and the two sons of Zebedee. And we know who these guys are. It's James and John. So it's, it's, it's the famous trio, Peter, James, and John. But this time they're not in a sailboat. Okay, here they are in Gethsemane. And he take these three guys, his best buddies, with them. Hey, best friends, come on, just keep an eye out for me so I can be left alone to pray. And then he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Again, this is the reason why I said he's stressed out of his box. is because he said himself. First of all, the Bible says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he says himself, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So it's very clear through the perspective of Matthew that he was stressed out of his mind. He himself said, I'm stressed out of my mind. And the reason why I'm saying that is if you look at the words here, first of all, the word here translated for, um, again, sorrowful, troubled, you know, um, lupeo, to distress, to be sad, cause grief, grieve, to be in heaviness, sorrowful, to be made sorry, or to be sorry, or sorrowful. And the other word for troubled, troubled, great distress, anguish depressed. That's how he felt. And he said himself, the word for overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, that's one word. Peri lupos, which means very sad, exceedingly sorrowful. Overcome with sorrow so much as it caused one's death. Do you ever feel that way where you're so stressed out of your mind you can't even get out of bed? You're just like, you feel like if someone just comes to push you on the shoulder, you're going to fall down dead? Well, that's kind of how he felt. He had no energy. Okay, so if anyone had a reason to be tired, it's Jesus, right? Because he was stressed out of his mind, and he's just like, all you got to do is just blow on me, and I'll fall over dead. 
So going a little further on, this tired, stressed out man, Jesus, who knows so much, even knows the pain he's about ready to suffer, he fell with his face to the ground he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as your will. Another beautiful thing, again, about following after God is it's not about us and our failure. It's not about us and our will. It's about God and his ability and his strength and his spirit and his ways and his will. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But I really want to focus on the disciples. So again, here we are. Please, guys, just stay awake. Keep watch. Next slide, please. Could they do it? No. Matthew 26, 40 says this. Oops, that's what it says. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Okay, please, best friends, just stay awake and keep a watch while I go pray. Because I'm really sad. I'm really down. I need your help. Please, guys. And here they are, snoozing away. And he wakes them up. Couldn't you men just keep watch? That's it. Just keep an eye out. That's all I'm asking for. For just an hour, he asked. An hour? That's 60 minutes. I mean, it wasn't like it was all night. An hour. Watch and pray. Now, here's where he asked him to pray. But again, a lot of times we we, we put this together as a a singular kind of activity to watch and pray. But no, he's still asking him to watch. But now he's asking him, but now pray that you don't fall asleep. That's what he's basically saying here. Now, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, i.e. you won't fall asleep again. Okay, this is what I say. Other ways of you can translate it is by praying that you will not fall into temptation. That's another way you can in, translate that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I like this verse. This is classic akrasia. It's a philosophical term that comes from the Greek idea of, well, it's roughly translated English incontinent, basically. It's kind of a gross word, but that's what classic crazy, and that's what we see here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as I have written here, classical crazy or crazy is the state of mind in which some, someone acts against their better judgment. Again, the spirit is willing through the weakness of will, but the flesh is weak. I.e., this is, this is classic crazy, what we would talk about, like if you were like in a philosophy class, you know, diets that fail. You really want to go on a diet. You really want to exercise, but for some reason, it just, you fail at it. Why? Crazy. Difficulties in quitting bad habits like smoking, right? Telling lies because it's easier. Not doing the right thing because it's just too hard. Okay, here, it is too tired to watch for the enemy. They're just too tired. Just too tired. Can't do it, God. I would like to, but I'm just too tired. So, good night. Okay? Jesus asked the disciples to pray and ask God for strength. So if we feel acrostic, whatever, we feel like we just can't do it, what is the remedy? Then pray about it, that you don't fall in temptation. So that's one awesome, powerful attribute of prayer. If God's asking you to do it, and you just simply can't do it, you keep failing, then you need to maybe pray a bit more about it. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Next slide, please. Here's another quick test. Do we fail at being obedient to pray for help while keeping watch? He went away a second time. This is verses 42 to 44. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So again, he prayed a very similar prayer as before. 
And we've already looked at this in great deal, what this cup is. When we looked at the Passover lamb and what had to happen, his beating. And we're going to see it again in detail when he does start to become beaten and bloodied and bruised and then hanging, dying on the cross. This is what this Jesus, this chosen lamb, was prepared to do, to take this cup. And he knew that's his will. And so if, you, if anyone has a reason to be entered into temptation to not do God's will, it's Jesus. All, Jesus is supposed to be obedient to the cross, to get beaten, to die, to lose his life. The disciples, they're only asked to stay awake for a couple hours to keep watch. Jesus is praying so that he doesn't enter in temptation. God, not my will, but your will. So he recommends, he suggests the disciples do the very same thing. If you're struggling staying awake, then pray to ask God for strength. His prayers are not intended to change God's mind. And it's not about him expressing his feelings on the matter. They are about God's will. God, I want to be in line with your will. Now certainly he probably felt a bit negative about it. Dying's not a thing to be excited about. Being tortured is not a thing to be excited about, so he probably did feel negative about it. But it's not about that. It's about God's will. He did not want to fail. See, failure is, is very much commonplace for disciples. But for Jesus, failure is not an option because he is the perfect spotless lamb of God. This is because, again, okay, so his prayers are not about changing God's mind, but about his feeling matter, they're about God's will. This is because God's will is the ultimate goal for everyone and everything. Again, we talk about tools. We're all going to be used by God, either in a negative sense or in a positive sense. We're either negative tools or positive tools. We already talked about this. Remember that, guys? So ultimately, God's will is going to happen, no matter where you, where you fall on, on which side you fall on. It is the one who is like Christ, a Christian, a disciple, one's like Christ, that can, with confidence, say, not my will, but your will. The rest of the world resists God's will. These things are frightful to them. But for the Christian, once we're like Christ, submits to God's will, regardless of the pain of the cup. Because the cup does have pain. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They were really, really, really tired, little babies. They were just need to just go night night. Jesus had an excuse to be tired, guys. He was stressed out of his mind, like I said. He had an excuse to be tired. He was under a lot of stress. But unfortunately, as the disciples have proved here, apathy can to make one tired. Eh, whatever, good Jesus. Eh, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it. I apologize. It's probably unfair. Maybe they did care. Maybe they just were really, really tired. How many times must he ask them to be there for him? How many times does Jesus have to ask his disciples, just please be there for me, friends? How many times? So he left them and went away once more to pray. And the third time, saying the same thing. So his prayers were very similar. Again, God, not my will, but your will be done. Next slide. But you know, guys, it's okay. Okay? It's okay. The disciples are okay. They're going to be all right. The disciples are still growing. Failure is a part of the lesson plan. It's okay. We're not going to give the disciples a hard time. Jesus understood. He chose them. He loved them. Right? Matthew 26, 45 to 46 says this. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Oh, look at you guys. So cute. Are you still sleeping? Are you still resting? Look, guys, remember I asked you to look, to watch? Well, it's okay. I'm doing it myself as well. I'm praying and I'm watching. Because look, here they come. They're coming to get me. Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go 
Here Comes My Betrayer. To be continued. Of the earth.